Yeah, the president has said um, unmistakably that he wants schools to open in full, kids being able to attend each and every day at their school. Uh, the science should not stand in the way of this. The what? The science should not stand in the way of this? Oh, my God. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV. In Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio. And Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. An all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hello. I got to tell you, my brain really needs a break from the <laughs> uh, from the ongoing uh, COVID crisis right now and the unbelievably stupid debate, if we can even call it that, about sending our kids back into classes in person uh, into these death trap classrooms five days a week in the middle of a surging deadly pandemic. That yeah. was uh, the open quote there was from uh, was the that, White uh, House the, press the, secretary, Kaylee McEnany. I can never say her name. I know. Go ahead. <laughs> yes. And she was insisting that schools must open, that uh, President Trump wants the schools to open for all children every day in person. The science should not stand the in the way of that. The science should not stand in the way. The science that tells us this could kill thousands of children and their teachers and their parents and their grandparents. Yep. That's exactly what I sort of uh, uh, need a break from. My I, brain I needs know. a break from. I, You know, I've had to put off a whole bunch of other stories over the past week or two because of this stupidity uh, and because of other breaking news, uh, some of which I hope to get to today, uh, regarding the ongoing democracy wars that will continue to play out and increase in intensity the closer that we get to November 3rd, which is now just 110 days away. Not that anyone is counting. <laughs> but before I get to that, let me just go ahead and, and get rid of this uh, COVID stuff here or this school debate. Just just with this little uh, nice little turd that I will drop into Trump and Pence and Betsy DeVos's and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's 
And the other GOP uh, death marchers uh, punch bowl. Their send them back to school punch bowl. Uh, This a short Twitter thread uh, yesterday from Hannah Leibovitz. She's a doctoral candidate at Cleveland State University. She studies local governance and social sustainability, according to her Twitter profile. She writes, we put our kids in camp for just a few days. Everyone masked, kids separated, no food sharing, etc. Well, there's a COVID outbreak. Kids and counselors are sick. Everyone is scared, overwhelmed, and now quarantining. This is what school is going to look like, too, she writes, and it's frightening. Over the past three days, I've gone back and forth about sharing this, but I think it's important for folks to see how real this is. We're talking about less than two weeks between camp starting and the disease spreading. Schools, she writes, are going to be impossible. Just to add to this, she says, we're in a county that isn't seeing the huge number of cases or deaths right now. The day camp is even further out. None of that matters when you have a group of people gathered indoors for any amount of time. She says we're both, uh, presumably her and her spouse, we're both trying to work. That's why we put our kids in camp. Now we're feeling even more scared, more frustrated and more guilty than ever. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's what uh, that's what schools are going to be like. It is going to be impossible. Governors can order schools to be reopened for in-person classes. Donald Trump can pretend that he ordered them to do so, even though the federal government doesn't have much say over this. But he can pretend that he ordered them to, to, to open back up as if everything is fine, as if everything is normal again, just in time for his election in November. But uh, he can ignore the science and do exactly that. But as soon as there is just one illness, you know, be it a student or a teacher, or everyone is going to freak out and it's going to be over and everything will just shut down again. They'll send all the kids home. We'll be back to remote classes. So, you know, really, we can quote unquote debate this idea all that we want, this issue. And uh, frankly, we should, if only to avoid the uh, illnesses that will occur before people return to their senses. But I suspect that the outcome is going to be the same whether the uh, science followers win this debate or whether the death cultists do. I don't know. I think that uh, Hannah Leibovitz is right on the money. It's going to be impossible. Yeah. No matter what happens here, you know, as, as just as with reopening states, despite warnings from experts in places like Texas and Florida and Arizona, Oklahoma, South Carolina, on and on, where cases are now exploding. Well, you know what? Sometimes we just have to, I guess, sit back and, and watch it happen, watch the disaster happen, despite all the common sense yelling and screaming otherwise. I just hope it doesn't come to that with schools next month, but I think it might. Well, I think we understand the reason why. Not only does Trump wish to have schools reopening so he can gaslight America into thinking that, oh, the coronavirus is pretended away, I won, hire me again (laughs) for this job. But I think we already also understand that Republicans, especially in Republican-controlled states, they really need parents to get back to work as soon as possible, and they have to have the schools then open so that parents can have a place to put their children, but the parents must get back to work as soon as possible. Otherwise, Republicans are going 
to have to offer some kind of economic relief, and they are against offering economic relief to ordinary people if they are not wealthy corporations or wealthy people. Because this is going to get much worse. This uh, unemployment insurance, the extended unemployment insurance, runs out at the end of July. So they're going to have to extend that one way or another, despite the fact that they're all pretending they're not going to. It is going to absolutely crush the economy if they don't. It is that uh, extended unemployment uh, uh, money and uh, the, the money that the Treasury Department has just been shoveling out to corporations that has essentially kept this economy afloat. And that's even with week after week after week. I think we're up to something like what, 14, 16 weeks now, something like that, of more than a million each and every week applying for uh, new unemployment insurance. I believe it was 1.3 million today. Mind you, before the coronavirus pandemic, the record for single week jobless claim was something like 695,000. And we've been over a million, well over a million, some weeks, three million, some weeks, six million. For weeks on end, it has gone uh, back down to one point something million over the last couple of months. But that's each and every week and each and every week. That is an all time record. So, uh Yeah, that's what all of this is about. But you know what? The virus does not care about politics. And, uh, you know, you can send your kids back to school, but they're going to be coming home sick and they're going to be bringing that virus back to you, no matter how you try to pretend this away. (laughs) I know every parent knows that schools are Petri dishes. I mean, just in the best of times, regular times. Yeah, I know. Uh, so anyway, uh, but see, that was that's what makes my brain tired. Yes. I didn't want to have that debate today. I just wanted to sort of drop that little anecdote into the punch bowl uh, from that uh, Hannah Leibovitz about uh, her kids sending them, sending them off, sending them off to camp. And yeah, sure enough, there's an outbreak. Uh, anyway, wanted to hit that before moving on to the democracy wars today, though, even there. Nobody can escape the COVID crisis either. So, you know, as you know, there were elections on Tuesday this week in Maine, Alabama and Texas, uh, where state Republicans have gone to extraordinary lengths in Texas to keep voters from voting safely by mail this year via absentee ballot. Unless they are 65 years of age or or, or older or they have a doctor's excuse confirming that, in fact, they have the covid or something else that would not allow them to go to the uh, to vote in person. Despite a lower federal court ruling that fear of becoming infected with coronavirus uh, was sufficient as an excuse to vote under Texas law to request uh, an absentee ballot under Texas law. That sensible ruling by that lower court was was uh, appealed by the state of Texas. It was overturned by a very right wing appellate court and confirmed by a stolen U.S. Supreme Court, which agreed with the appellate court. So most Texas voters must face the possibility of death in order to vote at the polling place this year, or they will just have to choose to to lose their right to vote. The courts wrap themselves up in some legal justification for their death march that they've uh, put in place for voters. But there are real consequences on the ground for actual voters who have to try and survive the machinations of these right-wing activist judges. And because that's what this is about, by the way, we know what this is about as well. The harder they make it to vote, the better it's going to work out for Republicans. 
And this is not not just a matter of deciding uh, to risk illness or uh, lose one's right to vote. These right-wing judges have also left some voters with the choice between losing their right to vote or casting a vote while knowingly putting other voters at risk of illness and death. What do I mean by that? Well, we have an example. A uh, Texas couple, this is uh, following a Tuesday's election this uh, past week, a Texas couple was forced into a tough position on Election Day. Quarantine, as instructed by Travis County public health officials, Travis County is in Austin, or Austin, Austin is, is in, in Travis, Travis County. <laughs> so they could uh, either uh, go, as uh, the health officials have told them, into quarantine, or they could vote in Tuesday's primary runoff elections and take the chance of infecting others. Those were their options. Linda Harrison and Vernon Webb were both diagnosed with COVID-19 last week. Harrison said she had been racked with a cough, congestion, and intense fatigue. Her husband had lost, uh, mo- had, had, had slept most of the past uh, two weeks. The two, however, still wanted to vote. Harrison said they vote in every election, even local elections. But she said that Travis County health officials contacted them and asked them to quarantine through the election. Not only that, but the evening before the election, she found out her COVID-19 test results would not be enough to qualify for an emergency absentee ballot. Even though she got a test result back that said, yes, she has COVID-19, that was not enough. She also needed a certified doctor's note. And Harrison's doctor was out. The two couldn't vote by mail either because the deadline to register was July 2. And that was before they were diagnosed with COVID. So what are they supposed to do? She said, how many people are in this situation? We can't be the only ones. Well, in fact, as uh, Texas Public Radio found, about 68,000 other Texans were diagnosed with the disease since July 2. Remember, July 2 was the deadline to register to, uh, uh, to, to get an absentee ballot. She said, I think it's just ridiculous in this day and age that we can't say this is a situation going on with me and I need a ballot so I can exercise my right to vote. Harrison reached out to the Texas Civil Rights Project for help. They sued Travis County on behalf of the couple. The injunction, however, was denied on Tuesday afternoon, on Election Day, of course, because it's Texas. The state of Texas has thrown up roadblock after roadblock to make voting more difficult, said Mimi Marizani, the president of the Texas Civil Rights Project. This is what voter suppression looks like in the year 2020. It is death by a thousand cuts. And it literally, in this case, could, be, uh, could mean death for thousands of people. Finally... Harrison was able to find a doctor to fill out the certification before the polls closed at 7 p.m. on Tuesday. Unfortunately, her husband did not. All the exhausted 62-year-old pediatric nurse had to do was drive 30 minutes to fill out the ballot with a Texas Civil Rights Project worker who picked it up for her in a parking lot between a Sonic and a Taco Bell. Katya Erisman with the Texas Civil Rights Project said, I'm going to I'm going to put the ballot on the hood of her car while she gets out to fill out her ballot. 
Harrison uh, asked her a few questions through a car window as she filled out the ballot. Uh, Erisman told Harrison, I think you should seal it. Just make sure to sign the back of the white one. Now, sealed and completed ballot in hand, Erison set off for the county clerk. I guess she's allowed to deliver it for Harrison in this case. She set off for the county clerk with only an hour to go before the polls closed on Tuesday. By the time she arrived, there was only 11 minutes left. She wrapped the ballot in a T-shirt because she did not have gloves. She found the line and she waited. She told the county clerk employees, hi, this is an emergency ballot. It was someone with COVID-19 that touched it, so I would be careful. She said, that's why I was using the shirt. Within With four minutes to spare, Travis County accepted it. Good Lord. Her vote made it in. Whether it got counted correctly or not or at all, that's a different question, one that maybe we'll get to later here. But... Uh, but she had lawyers and she had decided that she was not going to take no for an answer. But what about the people that didn't, that don't have lawyers and, and, and just don't want to go through that kind of a nightmare? Remember, she was doing all of this and all of these taking all of these drives and everything else while she had covid. I mean, so, you know, what if people simply couldn't do that? How many people did she have to, you know, risk making sick along the way in order to cast her vote by not going to the polls where she would have made a whole bunch more people potentially sick. Her husband, for that matter, lost his vote entirely. So, I, I mean, this this seems unsustainable to me, but you know what? Uh, apparently the courts in Texas, it's just fine with them. They said, no, nope, sorry, nothing we can do. It's election day. Good luck to you. Good luck to all of the people who who also vote at your polling place where you are going to have to go and infect them because we're idiots. I wow. don't know if they said that in the ruling, <laughs> but they should have. Many local elected officials across Texas pushed the state to allow all voters to have access to mail-in ballots over these uh, COVID concerns initially. As I noted, a federal uh, district judge in San Antonio did approve a deal that would allow anyone who wanted to vote by mail to do so. Ultimately, that idea was struck down in the federal appeals court last month, and that ruling was then upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court, which will not be doing anything to help voters this year to vote. Period. Count on it. Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton have continued to block efforts to expand vote-by-mail since then. Uh, the situation seems unlikely to change before November. So if you had any doubts about the failure of the Republicans' uh, stolen U.S. Supreme Court to, uh, you know, to stand up for voters this year, you, you can put that fear aside. They are not going to stand up for voters this year. But if you had any doubt, a new ruling out today should put that, uh, any of those doubts uh, to a complete end, if you ask my opinion. The U.S. Supreme Court declined on Thursday to overturn a federal appeals court panel decision that had blocked some uh, likely hundreds of thousands of former Florida felons and their eligibility to participate in elections this year. A major blow to efforts to restore voting rights to as many as 1.4 million people in the battleground state before November. 
The decision let stand a temporary halt by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit of a lower federal court judge's order that had cleared the way for hundreds of thousands of former felons in the state to register to vote. All right, so that's a lot of courts and a lot of decisions. So let me uh, let me clarify <clears throat> if you had any trouble keeping up with this uh, frankly, uh, frankly shameful mess. In 2018, Florida voters adopted Amendment 4, a constitutional amendment at the ballot box, a statewide constitutional measure that restored the right to vote for most former felons, except for those who had been convicted of murder or felony sexual offenses. It restored the right, their right to vote after they had completed their sentences, after they were out of prison. It's uh, it, it passed with an enormous bipartisan majority in 2018. It was supported by everyone from the ACLU to the League of Women Voters to even the right wing coke backed groups down there in uh, in Florida and the evangelical groups. It passed with 65 percent of the vote, 65, 35, a huge margin, a huge majority of voters in Florida across the entire state ended Florida's shameful chapter of barring felons from voting for life even after they have completed their sentence. It was a great day in 2018. But of course, with the idea that one and a half million voters, new voters, might be added to the rolls, many of them disproportionately minority voters, including one out of every four black men in the state, with that prospect, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis... Uh, who, on the very same ballot, by the way, is said to have won by less than one half of one percentage point. He won by less than one half of one percentage point, supposedly, if the computer reported results are correct. But Amendment 4 won 65 to 35. Nonetheless, Ron DeSantis decided uh, to take it upon himself to undermine the voters across the state of Florida, and he ordered the GOP majority legislature to pass a measure and pass it quick to undermine Amendment 4. They passed a law that said, sure, former felons can vote after their sentence is complete, but they also must first pay off any fines and fees that they still owe. That's part of their sentence, I guess, as they interpreted all of this. Florida is notorious for charging fines and fees for all sorts of things to, to, to prisoners. But there's no actual database of those fines and fees statewide. So nobody actually knows what, if anything, that they actually owe when it comes to fines and fees. And there is no way for supervisors of elections around the state who are tasked with approving these voter registrations. There's no way for them to know either, which means that rather than risk going back to jail as a former felon, most just won't register to vote under the new law. They don't want to take the risk. They know that, you know, they may be out and, and they have one strike against them already. So, you know what? It's just easier. I'm going to not register to vote because if I do and if I have fines and fees that I don't even know about, they're going to send me back to jail. Moreover, even if you do know how much you owe in fines and fees, uh, many of these people do not have the money to afford it, which means that if you have the money to pay off these fines and fees, you can vote. If you don't, you can't. And that, a lower court also found, amounts to an unconstitutional poll tax. 
But that lower court judge uh, found a compromise for now to what he described as, quote, an administrative nightmare under this California, I'm sorry, this Florida law that was passed by Republicans there. U.S. District Judge Robert Hinkle's ruling in May ordered the state to tell felons whether they are eligible to vote and what they owe if they're not. If they didn't get an answer from the state within 21 days, then they would be allowed to register to vote. So it gave the state 21 days to come back with the information that they needed. This sounds like a perfectly uh, workable compromise in general until all of this is sorted out. So the good guys, after Hinkle's uh, ruling came down, the good guys in the fight for voting rights, was they had won again. They celebrated again. But not for long, because DeSantis appealed that ruling to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. And people thought, well, the 11th Circuit had gone along. They had supported uh, Judge Hinkle on a number of other related motions earlier in this case. But in the meantime, Trump was able to appoint a whole bunch of judges to the 11th Circuit to take a majority of the court for Republicans. And the 11th Circuit then put a hold on Judge uh, Judge Hinkle's ordered compromise, putting the right to vote back into purgatory for all of these returned citizens, as the proponents of the Amendment 4 described the former felons. Got all of that. That's sort of where we ended up here. Now, in early July, the Campaign Legal Center in Washington petitioned the U.S. Supreme Court to lift the stay that had been placed on this ruling by the 11th Circuit, arguing that the appeals court uh, decision had, quote, thrown the election rules into chaos. And I think that's an understatement. And that there was uh, no time with a primary coming up in Florida in August and the general election shortly thereafter in November. There was no time to wait for the 11th Circuit to hold a hearing and to slow walk a decision in the matter. Mind you, they didn't overrule what uh, Hinkle's uh, compromise here. They just put it on hold, essentially. Give it to me. Now I'm going to sit on it. Exactly. So what happened today? Well. On Thursday, the U.S. Supreme Court denied that request to overturn the uh, stay that was placed on it by the 11th Circuit Court. The non-wingnut justices on the U.S. Supreme Court noted their dissent with Justice Sonia Sotomayor writing that the court's decision, quote, prevents thousands of otherwise eligible voters from participating in Florida's primary election simply because they are poor. It's now unclear if this issue is going to be resolved in time for the November presidential election or if the final ruling, whenever it comes, will then also be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court again, though we can guess how the Supreme Court is going to rule in that case, if and when it does. The appeals court has scheduled a hearing, meanwhile, on this uh, matter for August 18. That happens to be the same day as Florida's primary election. So, no, this will not uh, this will not be cleared up before the primary. An estimated 85,000 felons have registered. Former felons have registered since Amendment 4 went into effect in uh, January of 2019. Previously, Florida had been one of just three states that barred felons from voting for life. 
Now, I believe it may be the only one. I know that uh, Kentucky's, the other two were Kentucky and Iowa. Kentucky's Democratic governor uh, issued an executive order to allow felons to uh, register to vote. And I think, but I'm not sure, the other state, Iowa, was in the process of overturning that ban as well. I don't know if they have done so yet or not. We'll have to focus on them another day. But um, in uh, in numerous uh, voting-related cases decided near election dates, the Supreme Court has declined to intervene, citing the so-called Purcell principle. And that's what they were doing here. This is a legal doctrine that they pretty much invented. Uh, It came out of a 2006 case called Purcell versus Gonzalez. In that case, the high court ruled that, quote, court orders affecting elections, especially conflicting orders, can themselves result in voter confusion and consequent incentive to remain away from the polls. As an election draws closer, that risk will increase. So that's what they're trying to avoid here. Confusion and chaos. How's that working out? Because I'm pretty confused and chaotic just going back through all of this that had been sorted out until the 11th Circuit came in and screwed everything up. The state of Florida argued that uh, Hinkle's decision at the lower court, his compromise that would uh, let former felons register in most cases, that uh, the state argued that uh, Hinkle's decision had bucked the Purcell principle. Their lawyers wrote in this appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, far from creating the chaos described by applicants, the 11th Circuit Circuit Court order actually quells the chaos (laughs) created by the district court's unprecedented injunction. Which was created by the Republicans in Florida denying what voters had very clearly and simply voted for and try to monkey wrench that completely normal amendment for in order to block people from voting, because that's what they do. In uh, in her dissent, uh, Justice Sotomayor argued the opposite of what the state argued. The state argued that the Purcell principle must uh, come into play here because otherwise we'll have chaos. Sotomayor argued that uh, the uh, Supreme Court's decision now allows the Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit to disrupt Florida's election process just days before the July 20 voter registration deadline for the August primary. So, uh, yeah, this will not be settled and it is causing chaos that would not otherwise be here. But it's chaos that redounds to the benefit of Republicans. Well, yeah, that's just a, you know, side note. Don't (laughs) notice that. She added, this court's inaction continues a trend of condoning disenfranchisement. Ironically, this court has wielded Purcell as a reason to forbid courts to make voting safer during a pandemic, overriding two federal courts because any safety-related changes supposedly came too close to Election Day. It would be chaos. Yes, it might make it safer, but we don't want chaos. Voting rights activists worry that the uncertainty around Florida's law now will discourage people with felony records from trying to register, even if they actually are eligible, but they don't know, so they're not going to take the chance. Mission accomplished. Desmond Mead, the president of the Florida Rights uh, Restoration Coalition, which successfully placed Amendment 4 on the ballot uh, for passage uh, in the first place, He said, my heart went out to the countless numbers of returned citizens who were looking forward to participating in an election, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. 
to see their hopes dashed like that, he said, because of politics brought tears, brought me to tears. Meade himself spent three years in prison on a drug charge. He registered to vote in January 2019 after passage of Amendment 4. But before the new Republican law was put in place and he later found out that he still owed about $1,000 in fines and fees, he paid them and he plans to vote in August for the first time in 30 years. Lucky for him, he was able to afford the unconstitutional poll tax. His group is uh, helping others to pay their fines if they can't afford it, but they can't reach all felons in the state, and sometimes finding out if they owe anything is very difficult, even with the help of pro bono attorneys trying to figure all of this out who are working with the group, because there is still no statewide database to determine who owes what, if anything. A three-judge panel of the 11th Circuit Court, which now leans to the right, has twice agreed with Judge Hinkle, the lower court. He's a President Bill Clinton appointee, but the state's latest appeal to the full court resulted in this freeze of Hinkle's order until after the August hearing. So, yes, voter suppression accomplished for now. Well done, Florida Republicans. Well done, Governor Ron DeSantis. That should free you up to continue uh, your efforts uh, to proceed with your death march for school children after ordering all classes to uh, open next month, five days a week, to in-person classes. Heck of a job you're doing for Floridians there, Ronnie. So, uh, yeah, let's take a break here. We'll come back with uh, more along these lines as the democracy wars continue right here on the broadcast. And, oh, yes, Desi Doyen's got a Green News report for us later today. Yay! With a side-by-side comparison of Joe Biden's climate plans and Donald Trump's climate plans. How do you think that works out? <laughs> That's all straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that Jeremy dial. <laughs> The Bratcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Uh-huh, yeah. If they can count... 424 billion for war. Why can't they count our votes? Mm, good question. If they can count thousands of bombs and still be buying more, why can't they count our votes? Well, they can. We're not done. They just don't want to. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. We usually play that song when there's some problem. With a voting machine or something yeah. that uh, is counting correctly. Well, uh, you know, that's not even the question here. Welcome back. The uh, democracy wars continue today on the broadcast. Uh, it is not just uh, courts in Florida and Texas and at the U.S. Supreme Court, which are making it harder for voters to vote this year in the middle of a pandemic or to have their votes counted. According to AP this week, the Michigan Appeals Court denied a request to require the counting of absentee ballots received after the time that polls close on Election Day in the state, ruling that the battleground state's deadline remains intact despite voters' approval of a constitutional amendment that expanded mail-in voting. 
The court, in a two-to-one decision released Wednesday, said it is up to lawmakers to change the deadline that has been in place for at least 91 years. The League of Women Voters of Michigan and three voters sued in May, seeking a declaration that absentee ballots uh, be counted as long as they are mailed on or before Election Day and are received within six days of the election. The plaintiffs, who will appeal to the state Supreme Court, where I hope they win, uh, pointed to voters' new constitutional rights to cast an absentee ballot without giving a reason 40 days before an election, as per this constitutional amendment that was passed in 2018. And they can do it in person or by mail. They also uh, noted fears of visiting polling places during the coronavirus pandemic. But Judge David Sawyer wrote in the majority ruling, uh, quote, we follow the view that courts should typically defer to the legislature in making policy decisions. Judge Michael Reardon agreed with that ruling, while Judge Elizabeth Gleicher dissented and at least to my reading here, appears to have gotten this right. She wrote, this case should be easy because voters voters have a right to vote by mail if they mail their ballots to the clerk during the 40 days before an election. They have the right to have their votes counted when those votes arrive in the clerk's office. This interpretation squares with the historical and legal meaning of voting, It corresponds with the voter's intent. So in other words, if you have the right, because the voters approved this right in 2018, uh, you have the right to vote by mail in the 40 days before an election, including, by the way, on the day of or the day or two before Election Day. If you have that right to vote, In those 40 days, including, you know, the day before the election, don't you have the right to have that vote actually counted as well? You have the right to vote by mail. You can put it in mail before the election. It can be postmarked that night. It might not arrive for a couple of days. Well, you don't have that right in Michigan, not according to the two judges here who said that the legislature and their decades old uh, statute requiring that all ballots be at uh, county headquarters or at the polling place by the close of polls, that that instead is the controlling law here above and beyond the state constitutional amendment that voters adopted just two years ago that said that voters can vote by mail in the 40 days before the election, in any of those 40 days. Do you understand this? I, I think I do, and, and I'm my mind is blown. So they're basically saying that a law passed by lawmakers takes precedent over the state's yes. constitution. I guess so. I mean, I have to agree with Judge Gleicher here. This should be easy. This one seems to make sense. And yet you had these uh, two judges who disagreed on a three-judge panel. So uh, there you go. So I think the court majority got this one wrong. The Republican-controlled legislature, thanks to gerrymandering, by the way, they are unlikely to revise the deadline Uh, via statute. So this will likely stand. The suit said that inherent variations in mail delivery schedules could also result in one person having the ballot counted and another not, even if they send them back on the very same day. 
It also said that the deadline especially burdens undecided and late deciding voters for no good reason. And said that at least 11 states count ballots that are sent by Election Day, even if they arrive after Election Day. Well, about 1.75 percent of ballots, one and three quarters percent of ballots were not counted in Michigan's recent May uh, local elections because they came in too late. They might have been postmarked on time, but they came in too late. Sharon Delente, the voting rights strategist for the American Civil Liberties Union of Michigan, which assisted in suing the state, said that the deadline, quote, could lead to tens of thousands of voters being disenfranchised this year. And how much did uh, Trump win by? Oh, I'm getting 20? there. Okay. Oh, I'll, uh, believe me. I, yeah, when <laughs> I saw this. Tens of thousands yeah. of voters disenfranchised well, sounds I, remarkably well, similar to 2016. Well, when I saw this 1.75%, I thought, well, a lot of people will see this and go, oh, it's only one and three quarters percent. Yeah. It's not that many. But that's real people. Well, that's a she big said the uh, ACLU uh, strategist said we must ensure votes have the full timeline, that voters have the full timeline to submit their ballot from home by mail and give Michigan clerks and staff more time to process the ballots. Well, OK, let's do that math then. Donald Trump is said to have won Michigan by slightly more than 10,700 votes back in 2016. That out of almost 5 million votes that were cast. So 1.75% going uncounted in this year's election, if you have about the same amount of people voting, uh, 5 million voting, and if they do it by mail, that's 87,500 perfectly legal votes, if my math is correct, that would not be counted in November if this ruling stands. And again, Trump won the state by just over 10,000. And there's going to be a lot more people voting this year uh, by absentee mail. So, yeah. Um, I, I hope to God the plaintiffs uh, plan to appeal this one to the Michigan Supreme Court and that there is uh, some common sense left on that court, at least. We will see, especially, by the way, with the slowdowns to first class mail that Trump's new postmaster general has now ordered, as we discussed on yesterday's broadcast with Lisa Graves. So, you know, there could be a whole lot more than 1.75 percent of the absentee ballots that don't arrive on time. Just if uh, the postmaster general decides to slow walk all of these ballots. Funny how that works. Yeah, just a coincidence. A similar suit filed by a Democratic super PAC is pending in the state court of claims. Arguments were heard last week. So, there, yeah, there's still a chance there for some common sense to emerge amongst the uh, Michigan uh, courts. I'll only hope then that the Supreme Court doesn't then use the uh, Purcell principle to say, uh, yeah, you're right, this will save tens of thousands of votes, but sorry, the decision comes just too close to an election. It will cause chaos overturned. You're going to be hearing a lot, by the way, about the so-called Purcell principle this year, I'm afraid. Uh, but mail slowdowns by the Postal Service and purposely suppressive deadlines like we're seeing in Michigan are not the only concerns out there when it comes to vote-by-mail ballots. 
Uh, this is a story that I, I uh, had had mentioned a few days ago that I wanted to get to. We ran out of time. Uh, this returns to Texas here for a moment in a story that sort of pairs well with our with our opener uh, earlier, uh, the one out of Texas uh, with the voters who were diagnosed with COVID-19 after the deadline to register for an absentee ballot as allowed to only those who are 65 or older who can show a doctor's order confirming they have COVID. Even those who were able to apply on time for an absentee ballot and who were allowed to vote by mail under Texas's incredibly narrow restrictions for uh, absentee voting, uh, even during the COVID crisis, which a lower court decided was enough of an excuse, the fear of catching COVID at the polls, the lower court decided that was enough of an excuse to allow any voter to request a mail ballot, but the right-wing federal fifth circuit and the stolen right-wing u.s supreme court overturned all of that as well but even those who were able to apply on time for a mail ballot had troubles in dallas county this week trouble being able to vote on time for last tuesday's primary on sunday the dallas morning news reported that dallas county absentee voters say that mailed ballots were inexplicably being returned to them with just days left uh, before the Tuesday runoff election. Dallas resident Dorit Sufness described her returned parcel, uh, saying that it, quote, had absolutely no markings on it. It doesn't say why. It just came back. Suffness, who organizes voter registration at Richland College for the League of Women Voters, said fellow organization members had reported such instances on a group call a week or so ago. And then the ballots that she and her husband both submitted, that both of them recently came back with no explanation uh, to, quote, confirming that those stories were not aberrations. Dallas County Elections Administrator Tony Pippins Poole said that she was aware of the concerns that her office was investigating. This was in, uh, you know, just a day or two before the election. She said, we don't know why it's happening, whether it's certain areas or what the issue is, according to Pippins Poole. And they weren't marked undeliverable nope, or they just couldn't find back. the address. She said her staff was contacting postal officials to try to figure it out, to alert them to the situation. Roommates Norma Collins and Julia Diffley, according to the Dallas Morning News, both of Dallas, they mailed their ballots uh, last Tuesday. This is a week before the election, only for them to come back to them on Thursday. They took the return ballots to the post office. A postal worker there posited that perhaps the uh, envelopes had been scanned upside down and thus mailed back to their address. That does not make sense. No, it does not. But uh, the machine's supposed to be able to see that. The postal worker then uh, scanned the envelopes correctly for them and sent them on their way. Uh, Collins, uh, one of the, the, the two roommates here, said we're, we're just holding our breath, hoping that we don't see them come back here again. After uh, hearing similar stories, Suffness and Collins and Diffley said that they uh, worry about voters who, you know, may just now, this was just before the, uh, uh, the Tuesday election, they may just now be receiving return ballots, or worse yet, who may just now be mailing them you know, in the day or two before the Tuesday election, only to have them possibly bounce back 
after Election Day when it would be too late to do anything about it. Pippins Pool said that as long as a ballot is postmarked by Election Day, we will take it. The League of Voters had to issue an advisory, an emergency advisory, on uh, Sunday before the election to let voters know that they can take the uh, mailer containing the completed ballot to the post office and ask them directly to scan it again. Mind you, these are people who are, uh, you know, were trying to avoid having to be in a crowded polling place. Now they were asked to go stand in line at the post office. And they may be sick. They may have COVID and, you know, thus uh, threatening other people in the post office. Or she noted also on Election Day, you could turn in your mailer with its completed ballot at the Dallas County Elections Office. The county elections office? The county elections office. You can't do it at your precinct as you can in many other here in California, for example. We can deliver a absentee ballot, a vote by mail ballot in person at the polling place. That's a long drive trying to get to the county elections office. Is it? Yes, it is. Depending upon where you're where coming you are, from, of course. But yeah. uh, you know, Texas is spread out. Dallas is really spread spread out from suburbia and it takes a long time i'm i would be surprised if many people had the time and the resources to, to get that yeah the county especially for office. a runoff and you know these are people who are 65 or older or they are people who are sick right. with a doctor's excuse uh anyway uh pippin's pool noted that you may only hand deliver your own ballot that way mm. You can't even let someone else do it for you, apparently. She says you have to also be sure to bring a photo ID if you have one when you do. So uh, this is sort of uh, what we're going to be dealing with uh, this year between now and November and beyond. Uh, these uh, democracy wars are going to be continuing. I've got more along these lines. We'll have to get to them in the days ahead, yeah, it's including be, from out here in California. By indeed. The way. Yeah. This is going to be a street fight. I've said this before, a street fight, you know, street by street to get the right to vote. I was going to say a virtual street fight, okay, not an enough. actual street fight. But you get the idea. Because I'm worried that there actually <laughs> will be some street fights in the days ahead. Hope I'm wrong about that. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break, and we will uh, close out today with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report, what you have all been waiting for, <laughs> sitting through me, tolerating me in order to wait for. Make it a good one, Des. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Uh, what did you tell me during the break there, Desi I Doyen? said no chit-chat. We have to get right to it. <laughs> our latest Green News report. Fine. These investments are a win-win-win for this country. Joe Biden unveils sweeping climate action plan to create jobs, jumpstart the economy, and solve climate change. Oh, is that all? Because I've been wanting to do this from day one. While Trump officially rolls back yet another benchmark environmental law. Plus, new analysis shows extraordinary increase in U.S. coastal flooding. Naturally. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and 
Snarky comment. They want to mandate net zero carbon emissions for homes, offices, and all new buildings by 2030. That basically means no windows, <laughs> no nothing. No, no, it doesn't, Mr. President. This is your Green News Report. It's very hard to do. I tell people when they want to go into some of these buildings, how are your eyes? Because they won't be good in five years. Okay, Desi Doyen, is it my imagination or has the President of the United States gone a little bit bonkers there? <laughs> I don't think it's your imagination at all. And I will say that this week really underscores the stark contrasts between President Trump and the Republicans' agenda to ignore climate change and increase pollution versus Joe Biden and the Democrats' plan to clean up pollution ah. and solve the climate crisis while creating jobs. There's an idea. But first, new data from NOAA shows a quote, extraordinary rise in coastal flooding in the United States. The frequency of flooding in some coastal cities is now five times higher than it was in the year 2000, mm. damaging homes, drinking water supplies, and coastal infrastructure. And because the rate of sea level rise is itself accelerating, NOAA projects that by 2030, just 10 years from now, the frequency of high tide flooding on sunny days will double or triple. And by 2050, within the lifetime time of a 30-year mortgage signed today, high tide flooding could be 5 to 15 times more frequent. The average coastal community could see flooding at high tide between 25 to 75 days a year. That's more than three months worth of sunny day flooding over a year. So when you say sunny day flooding, you mean days that we have floods even though we don't have storms, we don't have rain. This is just the High tide coming in and getting higher. Yep. In a different report, the Government Accountability Office this week found that the Trump administration is deeply understating the cost of climate change when it justifies its rollbacks of environmental and public health standards, like, for example, the costs of rising sea levels driven by man-made climate change. So even the GAO agrees that Trump is getting this wrong. Yep. On Wednesday, the Trump administration formally completed its rollback of a bedrock conservation law, the National Environmental Policy Act of 1970, in order to speed up infrastructure projects like pipelines and roads. The rollback eliminates requirements to consider a project's long-term impacts, like climate change and pollution, and effectively blocks local communities' rights to review such projects and have a say in what gets built in their backyards. And when Donald Trump said about that. I've been wanting to do this from day one. He's wanted to do this from day one because whenever he wants to build something, these are the regulations that he has to deal with. So this is meant to make his life better, I guess. Yep. In sharp contrast, presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden on Tuesday unveiled a sweeping, comprehensive new proposal to solve both the economic crisis brought on by the global pandemic and the climate crisis. Biden's plan would fund $2 trillion over four years to create jobs in upgrading America's energy and transportation infrastructure and manufacturing, targeting 100 percent carbon-free electricity by 2035 and net zero emissions 
economy-wide by 2050 with a focus on environmental justice. Other provisions, among many, include building a national electric vehicle charging network, energy efficiency building retrofits, cleaning up legacy pollution and abandoned oil wells, building high-speed rail, and exporting U.S. manufactured clean energy technology to the rest of the world. All of it locked in so it can't be undone by a future president. Biden framed Trump's climate science denial as costing America both money and jobs. When Donald Trump thinks about climate change, the only word he can muster is hoax. When I think about climate change, the word I think of is jobs. Biden called climate action a scientific and economic imperative and called the twin crises of the coronavirus pandemic and climate change an opportunity. Climate change is a challenge that's going to define our American future. I know meeting the challenge will be a once in a lifetime opportunity to jolt new life into our economy, strengthen our global leadership, protect our planet for future generations. It's a sweeping progressive plan Just don't call it the Green New Deal. (laughs) Yeah. Because Fox is already freaking out about it. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. And I remember what it is to be so green. I remember as well. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. And thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. We hope we made it worth your while. Uh, If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is uh, made possible by those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. We are 100% listener supported here, and we can't thank you enough, those of you who help us uh, stay on your air, uh, your public airwaves five days a week. bradblog.com slash donate. If you'd like to write in and tell me why you will never donate to our crappy show, <laughs> you can email me. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Uh, And if you can't donate, please share what we do every day on the Twitters and the Facebooks where you will find me at The Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. So